the eve of the weekend is upon us, and so I bring you another episode of the Brother Trucker Book Club Podcast. This is your host, Graham Bradley. We are at episode 105. Hopefully you're all having a nice Thursday, gearing up for a good weekend. Things are going pretty well here at home. And uh, as usual, I've got some books for you in a couple of different categories and mediums. So without further ado, ready and... begging your pardon with the background noise Um, I'm currently running the pump on the truck to offload my dragon's blood at another customer and so that requires me to kind of sit in the cab for an hour and a half and and idle the engine while the PTO is on. So anyway, two books that are in the reread category one of them I just finished listening to again last week uh, narrated by Simon Jones and I've done an episode on this one before so I won't regale you with too much of it If you go back to episode 68 and listen to my rundown of the Bartimaeus Trilogy by Jonathan Stroud, um, you'll see what this one is. I just decided to reread it because I haven't done it since uh, July of 2011, I think was the first time I read it. And uh, loved it even more the second time. Just fantastic characters, story, plot, tension, action, excitement, everything. Um, So I'm going to give it a few weeks before I jump into book two just because that's kind of the, the longer and slower one of the trilogy, but it's still good. Uh, but yeah, if you haven't yet read The Amulet of Samarkand by Jonathan Stroud, definitely look that one up and check it out. The other one has a funny title because some things don't translate over flawlessly from Japanese to English. This one is called All You Need Is Kill by Hiroshi Sakurazaka. It was adapted to a film about six years ago, starring Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. They originally called it Edge of Tomorrow in the theaters. And and then I guess when it hit DVD, they called it Live, Die, Repeat. Um, Some some difficulties pegging down a good title for it, but the movie was a whole lot of fun, good excitement, good action, good everything. Uh, But I've read the book twice, uh, listened to the audio. It's about five, five and a half hours, and it's even better than the movie, which is usually the case. There were plenty of things that were different about it, and I just wanted to kind of highlight those differences. So, obviously, it's not an American guy who stars in this Japanese novel, Japanese sci-fi set in the future. Uh, he's a, a what they call a jacket jockey, a guy who runs one of these mech suits, and his name is Kiji Korea. Um, you know, he's, he's at this base, he's training to run this suit, and uh, they get sent into this pretty much unwinnable battle but uh, he, he makes a lucky accidental kill, kind of like what happens with Tom Cruise in the movie, and suddenly finds himself stuck in a time loop. Now from there, there are some parallels and there are some pretty big differences. Obviously, the, the crux of the story is uh, Kiji trying to find himself, find his way out of this time loop, because no matter what he tries, he keeps waking up you know, at the same spot 30 hours before he died, the day before going in and doing a massive invasion. And much like the movie, he comes across, uh, pardon the language, they refer to her as the full metal bitch. Uh, Her name is uh, Rita Vratosky. She's a Russian soldier who has in the past, in some of these battles with these aliens that are invading Earth, just racked up an ungodly amount of kills on these things, whereas entire regiments of jacketed soldiers get their butts kicked. She's somehow invincible. And uh, as Kiji finds out that he's he's tied into this time-looping power, this 
this precognition that allows him to see his way through the battle, kind of like playing a video game over and over again. Rita, much like in the movie, realizes what's happening to him, and she's able to sit down and explain it to him. You know, this is the same thing happened to me, and that's why I got so good, and I ended up surviving this battle. You've got to fight your way through it, kill all the aliens in the area, and close the loop, and that is much harder than it sounds. Um, another key difference between the movie and the book, the movie centered on, since it was much more visual, they showed that you know Tom Cruise got the alien blood spilled on him, and that brought him into the time loop. In the book, it's a little bit more complex than that. It's got to do with... Uh, with brain waves and once your brain waves kind of get altered by uh, the alien brain waves the ones that allow the aliens to also have precognition and always win battles forgot to mention that that's why they're so dang deadly is they can they can see you know how humans are going to fight and they're always beating them and they're very very hard to kill well once you get pulled into uh to this brain wave ring you're in their team as it were. It's, it's a flaw in their technology, I guess, that they haven't been able to, to counter or to, to work out. So occasionally enemies can, can find themselves holding this same power that the aliens have where they can see, you know, slightly ahead. And, and that's ultimately what keeps happening to Kiji. He's not dying so many times as much as he is seeing, living, and experiencing potential futures based on decisions that he makes. It's such a crazy advanced technology and uh, I think it's, it's spelled out very well to make it seem realistic and believable, but at the same time be concise. Like I said, the audio is only about five and a half hours. So it's just, it's gripping, it's exciting. Um, I will warn you, though, that the ending is somewhat different from what it is in the movie, and it's, it's a little bit more tragic and, and gut-wrenching. Um, I might have talked about this before, but there are certain things that the the widespread American movie-going audience will not accept if you throw it up onto the screen. It'll it'll diminish the widespread popularity of a movie if you do certain things in it, if certain people, you know, don't make it out. And, uh, you know, not to be too spoilery, obviously, if you've seen the movie, you kind of have a hint of certain things that happen, but the, the ending works pretty differently based on, on the difference in technology. So I don't want to spoil anything. Uh, I won't give anything else away, but I do recommend reading the book. All You Need Is Kill by Hiroshi Sakurazaka. Content warning, um, the, the battles, I don't remember them being you know, depicted as excessively you know, worse or gory than any other military sci-fi, but the language is what I call military accurate in terms of how many F-bombs they drop, so just be aware of that. And uh, obviously, if that's outside your threshold, then uh, don't worry about it. But it was, a, it was an excellent sci-fi and... Uh, I'm glad that they made a movie of it. I'm just glad that I also got to read the book and see these two good treatments of such an exciting story. On the uh, visual side of things, I've read a couple of comics, graphic novels, picture books and stuff. So uh, real quick, here's the rundown of three of them. Uh, I was looking for dinosaur art online for something or other the other day, and I came across these really cool pictures of like gigantic brontosauruses with like sailing ships on their backs. And uh, these ships were like, you know, affixed like backpacks to these dinosaurs, and people were sailing these dinosaurs across a sea of grass on an island somewhere. It's like, that's pretty cool. And uh, I found a lot of images like that and realized it was from a comic. So I looked it up, and it's called The Pirates of Pangaea. Uh, it's like a car crash of Pirates of the Caribbean in Jurassic Park. Uh, the main character is a girl named Sophia. Um, much like Elizabeth Swan, she's being, you know, sent to the colonies from. England, except the colonies are on this uh, hidden continent called Pangaea, where dinosaurs didn't die off, and uh, 
she gets sent there on a ship and when she gets to shore you know the ship doesn't pull into harbor there is no harbor this dinosaur kind of swims out and then gets underneath the ship and there's a guy who steers it and and uh you know she learns that yeah this is how we do things out here on pangea we found this herb we call it the snuff if we give it to the dinosaurs it makes them docile we can control them we can ride them so awesome they go riding across the the sea of green this this tall grass that seems to cover most of the island you don't want to walk across it in person because much like the lost world there are raptors hanging out in there and uh from there hijinks ensue and it's a pretty quick read i read the entire first volume in about a half an hour i spent a lot of time you know looking at the art because it was it was exciting it was well done it was detailed it made a whole lot of sense it was just really really good and uh, i can't believe i never came across this thing before uh, the artists' names are Dan Hartwell and Neil Cameron. But look up The Pirates of Pangea for uh, just a, a, a good, clean, fun pirate dinosaur read. Uh, if I've got any complaints about it, it's that Sophia is drawn like she's an adult in her early 20s, and then you get to the end of the book and you find out she's supposed to be 12. Uh, either there was a miscommunication or the artist just misfired on that because, yeah, she looks like Jane from the animated Tarzan movie. But that's really my only complaint in an otherwise wonderful comic. Speaking of comics, uh, Ethan Van Skyver, he's a guy who spent 25 years in in uh, working for the, the big two comic companies. He's drawn for DC, he's drawn for Marvel. Incredible artist. And I guess he had this comic of his own from back in the 90s called Cyber Frog just this ridiculous thing where an alien probe comes to earth to try to warn us of another alien invasion and it's going to drop this cybernetic tech on on a human to make him into a powerful warrior to save humanity from these incoming aliens and oh there are no humans around let me just dump all this tech on a frog and his name is cyber frog and he's got a sidekick named salamandroid and it's it's completely ridiculous in terms of the concept but when an artist takes that ridiculous concept and draws it like his life depends on it holy crap yeah the art was beautiful so uh, he did a crowdfunding uh, effort of, for this book a couple of years ago i backed it my copy came back in december and i just got around to reading it and uh, it's very much a, a short first issue thing he's been i guess he's been doing the other issues also as crowdfunded projects and they can get kind of pricey. I think altogether mine was like 25 bucks to get one copy of it. So uh, I might wait for a trade paperback or see if I can get them on digital later just because I, I don't blow my nose with $100 bills yet. So, uh, but Cyber Frog by Ethan Van Skyver was a whole ton of fun and uh, exceptionally well drawn. And the colors by Kyle Ritter were superb, just superb. Uh, the final visual book just came in the mail yesterday. It was called Clockwork Scott by April and Pike and Ashley Moore. Uh, I've reviewed some of April Lynn's books before. She's a friend. And uh, I guess she wrote the text for this one, you know, wrote the concept, and then uh, Ashley Moore did the art for it. Um, it's a, a steampunk-type book. You know, everybody's a robot or an automaton, and the central character, Clockwork Scott, is this guy who helps everybody until he gets critically wounded in a, in a really bad accident and, uh, you know, loses use of the use of an arm and the use of an eye, and it's... Uh, I don't want to say too much from there because it's a short book. It's like 70 pages. I read it to my kids as a bedtime story. And, uh, you know, it's very heartwarming, very heartfelt. And the, uh, the afterword explains where the concept of the story came from. It's based on a person that uh, April Lynn and Ashley know. It was actually Ashley's husband. He got hurt, but, you know, was able to pull through. And, and uh, I don't want to give anything else away from there. I think it's, it's worth the read. My kids loved it. So check out Clockwork Scott 
by April Lynn Pike and Ashley Moore. Hi there. You might notice now that the sound of the PTO and the idling semi-truck engine are gone. Uh, that's because after I finished the last segment, uh, the truck finished unloading and then I had to get out of there and book it back to town and blah blah blah. So anyway, it's late at night and uh, here's the last little bit for this week's episode. Uh, I finished reading The Red Badge of Courage by Stephen Crane. It was pretty short and uh, it was one of those books that had a title that you know I'd heard a whole bunch of times in school growing up, but as I was perusing my library list a couple of months ago, I realized I never actually read that one. Um, I figured it had something to do with war. Wasn't exactly sure what the Red Badge of Courage was. Uh, it just seemed like one of those things like, oh, you get the Purple Heart if you're wounded, you get the Silver Star for, what is that, for Valor? I can't remember. And so the red badge might have been something else. Maybe it's defunct. You don't hear about it that much. Um, some background on this story. It was written by Stephen Crane. Like I said, he died when he was 28 years old in the late 1890s. He was born uh, just a few years after the Civil War ended, and that's when this book takes place. It centers on a young man named Henry, who uh, in in the middle of the Civil War, he feels the the call to action to go fight for the Union side. And then when uh, he gets up to the front lines and he's got a weapon and everything and he knows that they're going to go to battle, he's he's got some serious doubts as to whether he can do this. And he's scared and he turns and he runs. And the rest of the book pretty much centers on him in various ways, um, feeling shame at having run, but feeling fear at the idea of facing the enemy and possibly losing his life. Um it seems pretty plain and basic as a concept because wouldn't that be exactly what war is about? You would need a reason to fight um, and either absolute certainty of your victory or absolute indifference to your annihilation if you were to walk into that. And uh, if you didn't have either of those things, man, what's the third way? You just, you have courage and you do it. Like John Wayne said, you know, courage is being scared to death, but saddling up anyway. Uh, this is obviously a story about courage, but the red badge is not some sort of uh, officially issued award given by any army in American history. Um, the red badge of courage was a nickname that they gave to wounds that you sustained in battle. Now, whether Henry earns one of those wounds, or people think he earns one of those wounds, is kind of at the core of, of this story on the, on the technical side of things. There are thematic elements to this, to uh, the idea of courage and, and how it manifests and how people earn it and so on and so forth. Um, discovering that is one of the merits of, of reading this book. And uh, I, I think it's worth worth it for everybody individually to read it and, and see what it says about courage. Um, as I did some research on this book, you know, externally after the fact... Uh, I found out that Crane got a lot of praise for his accurate portrayal of battle, even though he himself had never fought in a war or anything like that. And uh, he had to, to kind of achieve a sense of that by reading journals and reading articles and so on and so forth to to get an idea of the tone of it, as well as you know the, the human angle, the human response. Because you could look at a battle and maybe write about it from the outside, but it would be really, really hard to get a, a convincing perspective of it without having gone through it. Um, 
me and you know in my life i've definitely experienced a, a, a taste of fear um, i felt a, a rush of adrenaline i i know the the thrill of uncertainty as you engage in something where you know the the stakes could be high for your own loss but that doesn't mean that i've a, approached anything close to battle i've experienced things that have uh, very basic and fundamental parallels but battle is a very unique experience in the human lexicon and uh, to be able to write it convincingly and, and to earn praise from people who did go through it, even though he didn't, uh, I think speaks well to the literary merits of this story and why it has uh, endured in the last, you know, 125 years that it, since it's been in print. There's another book that I wanted to mention alongside this that I read, shoot, maybe it was last year. It was a Gary Paulson novel called Soldier's Heart. Uh, the reason Red Badge of Courage made me think of Soldier's Heart is that they uh, are both fictionalized accounts of people who went into the Civil War and had different experiences going into and coming out of it. Uh, Gary Paulson's is a bit of a of a fictionalized nonfiction. He bases it on a real historical figure who did go to war, and uh, you know the the various things that happened to him while he was there and uh, how the war and the post-war life kind of used him up and dried him out. And, and he died at a very young age, having lived a, an old man's life in a very short amount of time. I, I believe the man was just 23 when he passed away. Uh, I do recommend if you are going to look into Soldier's Heart that you get the audiobook copy, especially if you have access to the Overdrive app with your local library, because there's an interview with Gary Paulson prior to the uh, audiobook narration that... <laughs> frankly, for my money, gives the book most of its value. I've, I found the writing itself wasn't all that gripping or striking the way that Paulson's writing normally is, even though the subject matter itself was valuable. Um, but finding out why Paulson wrote this story and what he had to say about it and what he was trying to say with it, uh, I think you know that, that context makes it all the more valuable. Um, I mentioned before... In, in another episode, uh, I believe it was the episode with Hillbilly Elegy, so just uh, two episodes ago, episode 103, uh, about my papa, Robert Bradley, um, how he was from a broke coal miner town, he found his way into the U.S. Army, fought in Korea, got a Purple Heart, and, um, you know, so far as I'm able to surmise, and the evidence supports this, uh, ended up having PTSD for... You know, several decades after the fact, and he self-medicated with alcohol, and uh, that was just the way that it was done in his time. We didn't talk about PTSD or mental health back then the way that that we do now, and you know there are ups and downs to that. But you know, you you treated it in your own way by either putting up and shutting up, or you know medicating, or in in the in the more dire and tragic instances, um, suicide, and uh, the ones that could bear it out and and not deal with those mental and spiritual and psychological ghosts um they were they were uh defined or described rather as having had a soldier's heart that's where the title of the book comes from so these are two books that are similar in in title and in style and in subject matter but are saying very different things ab about war and the toll that it has on on the human psyche and uh I think they're important in their own rights, and you you know how hesitant I am to describe a book as important, but given the uh, the subject matter of war and of battles and and whether we are courageous enough to fight them, um, I, I think that 
makes these books worth your time. Like I said, they're they're both short in audio. I want to say Soldier's Heart was under two hours and Red Badge was around four. So check either one of those out and that'll do it for uh, this week. Right now I'm I'm reading a host of books, I'm reading a couple of ebooks, reading a print book, listening to uh, I'm I'm re-listening to another audio book right now, but we'll talk about that again in roughly ten days. I've been releasing these at 10-day intervals, but aside from the fact that there is no 30th of February, uh, we're gearing up to have a busy family project here at the end of the month, so I, I might be a few days late in getting the next episode out, but you know the deal. Stay subscribed. Keep those alerts on. Tell your friends about this podcast, and uh, let me know if you've actually read any of these books. Drop me an email, dreadpennies at gmail.com, or uh, those of you who can text me or reach out to me in other ways, you know, let me know what you've been reading and, and what you think. Until then, drive safe. See you out there.